Hi everyone, this is Dyer with Northwest Nerd. In this episode, we are going to talk about mental health and how it relates to our pop culture, how it's written, how it's presented. Later on, we're going to hear from three experts in the field of mental health, all of whom deal with youth and families, and they include Nikki York, Sarah Pence, and Steve Collins. I gotta pick their brains about everything from how Marvel films present mental health to a few misconceptions about the topic altogether. But first, I talk with Daniel Gentry. He's known as Doc, owner and proprietor of Doc Wands. I ran into Doc over at Kick Off the Cons in Renton recently. I didn't initially plan on even interviewing him that day, or necessarily even plan to have him on this episode. But after talking with him for a while, you find out that Doc has a pretty interesting background, not only with woodworking, which he uses to make one-of-a-kind wands, but Doc is also a military veteran, and he's very vocal about his experience with PTSD. He took the time to sit down to discuss how all of this intersects for him. I served in the United States Army as a medic, and when you first get in as a medic, you're medic or your rank, but after they start trusting you medically, they call you doc, and okay. <laughs> man, it just stuck, and it went with, and people today still, hey, doc, how's it going? So I just assume you just kept it's my doc. nickname, yeah. I love that. So the only place they don't use my nickname is is my actual full-time job, Oh yeah, and that's because it's awkward in a hospital yeah. to call somebody who's not a doctor doc. That makes sense. So... We're going to get around to that a little bit here, but um, you also were telling me not only that your nickname was Doc, but that you came around, you saw some kind of vendor someplace, uh, they were they were selling wands. They were selling wands made out of pine, and what did that make you think? Well, originally, the pine wand thing is not the problem. Okay. Um, uh, if, if they were selling it for what pine would cost... Uh, it would be fine because a pine can be used as a toy, and if it breaks, no big deal. Pine's very soft, malleable. You drop it at dents. You you touch it, it breaks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm over exaggerating, obviously, but this guy was selling them for like eighty to a hundred dollars, and I was really mad when I watched people buy the wand, and then as they were leaving, they would say stuff like, "My kid's really gonna enjoy this," and. To me, that was unethical and unmoral, so I had to do something about it. And because I'm ethical and moral, I didn't just walk up and tell them they got ripped off. I started a wand business. So you basically said, like, no, 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 pine. I'm going to make wands made out of actual, like, not actual wood. Pine is wood, but, like, right. out of more quality materials. Right, I use hardwoods. You use hard. Okay, so what, what, what qualifies as, like, a hardwood for this? So it's all about tensile strength. So okay. the lowest grade hardwood is what I think is called yellow pine. Okay. Uh, it's still pine, so I wouldn't use it. I use uh, cherry and walnut, red oak and oak. Okay. And so, obviously, you're a wood nerd. Where does that come from? So the cherry and walnut is because they, if you cut down a cherry or walnut tree, it'll eventually regrow on itself. Yeah. So I'm not harvesting a tree that can't be replaced. And red oak and oak is the tensile strength is stronger than steel. Um, it, it, so for cosplayers and kids, that's what I'm making these for. Uh-huh. They can play with them and not worry about them. But more importantly, it's very abundant. It's not, um, it's not ever going to be in danger 
Oak is, uh, somebody once told me, oak is like the disease of the forest where we have to cut it down because it's just going to go. Yeah. Um, I also refuse to use older oak. Interesting. Why is that? Because younger oak is farmed, so when they use young oak or um, the striations are very far apart, that oak is more ethical to use uh, because they're farming it. They're going to cut that one down, but they're planting one right next to it. They're using the seeds to fall to plant new ones, so it becomes this farm. When you cut down like 100-year-old trees for nothing more than making wood, you lose all the history. Everything that that tree had to offer a real scientist, if it was to come down on its own, to look through and know what that tree went through for thousands or hundreds of years. Um, we got to talking a little bit, and you, you kind of you brought up very openly that you were in the service, um, you had an injury to your shoulder when you left the service, and then you also found out later on that uh, you had some stuff to deal with when it came to PTSD. Yeah. A very common thing. I'm not going to name people in my own life because they'll get mad at me. <laughs> But they have PTSD after exiting, um, serving in Iraq, serving in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You came out of it and found, what was your experience with it? So, first off, new Mike, who dis? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I got out, I got out with a couple of friends at the same time. Same rank, same service. Uh, all of us suffering from some form of PTSD. Um, and I'll talk about four, and the reason I'm going to do this is because it's kind of important. Two of us decided not to use the medications. Two of us took the, I don't know, 38 medications that they gave us for PTSD and went home. Um, the one, the other one of us that didn't take the medications committed suicide very quickly after leaving the military. Um, and I can, I think I have an explanation for that, even though I'm not an expert, I think I understand it. The other two with medications ended up dying from various things. One of them just took his medications like normal. It wasn't overdose. He just went to sleep one night and didn't wake up the next morning. Uh, the other one, nobody's sure what happened, but he basically had a meltdown and ended up taking his life as well. So with you, what do you do? Because obviously your route is pain. different. Okay. I did eat my pain. I yeah. got up to 425 pounds. I became agoraphobic. I refused to leave the house. I thought the whole world hated me. If I was... I, I, I want to say that my laziness saved me because if I wasn't as lazy, I probably would have done what everybody else did. But luckily I didn't because I'm too lazy. And, and I, I'm not. I, I wish I was joking about that. It's the yeah. truth. It just seemed like too much effort to go out and end it. With you, though, it's almost like you had this other avenue as well. Before you went into the service, you had woodworking. It was, I did. You said you mentioned your grandfather, you know, was, was into it. Your father-in-law today also has a connection with woodworking. How exactly does that relationship feed into... So woodworking is kind of a pastime for my family, and and certain things have been passed down. In my great-grandfather's time, you made stuff. Like, if if your wife wanted a dresser, you made a dresser. Like, and my grandfather was good at it, what other people... My understanding is other people came to him and asked. I can't verify I wasn't there, believe it or not. Um, As time went on, my grandfather always told me, do something with your hands. It was one of his biggest things. He really just instilled it into me because he liked wood that, you know, I would start working with it as well. Not that he said, you're going to work with wood, but like it just was that commonality. I went on and off off and on, on and off, whatever you want to say, going through it. I didn't I didn't even take wood class where everybody made bongs in high school. Uh, I made a stool. And a cutting board. And the stool probably had a hole on top and a hole on one of the feet. Yeah. I mean, don't lie to me. Yeah, We're did. super engineers when we want to get high. <laughs> 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 uh, 
but I, I we went off and on. My father-in-law knew that I had a love of woodworking, and when I got out, he really changed my life by just giving me things to do. He didn't need my help. He didn't need me to do them, though he made it sound like I did. He was just smart enough to know that I needed to get out of the house because I was on the verge of agoraphobia. Like I said, I could barely stand up. I was so heavy. And woodworking really just working on my hands, doing something, having a goal, a purpose with woodworking really helped focus me back and is the reason I could admit today that I have PTSD. It's under control. I did it without medications. I really think there's something there that we've got to focus on about using your hands, doing something, being useful. Uh, like I told you before, when people get out of the military, they have a hard time. And I think it's because you go from being whatever, this awesome person that people come to, an expert in a field, important in a way, to being blended with society where everybody thinks they're important, but the honest truth is nobody's important. We don't, you know, you can replace anybody in the drop of a hat, but replacing a medic on a battlefield is a whole nother set of circumstances. And so you get this, I'm not worthy anymore feeling. Plus you hate civilians because they don't know their place in life and they're rude and they get in the way at grocery stores. Like you really do. It's funny, but it's true. You get this hate of civilians because they, they take their 20 kids and they all line up in a big row in the middle of the grocery store and you're trying to get to the cereal on the other side of them. And you know in the military this would not happen. Everybody would be dressed right, dressed on the side, you would get your stuff, you would move on, and that's how it is. And so those couple of things together really just got me into a bad place. Woodworking got me out of it. Do you feel that there's almost like a, I don't know if meditative is the right word to use, but um, in psychology there's a word uh, called like reorienting your mind in mm -hmm. a way that you're focusing your mind on something else. Maybe it's even like zoning out to a degree, but... I could see maybe with woodworking something like that coming along and you almost like you shift your brain into another gear because you're now woodworking. Do you feel that kind of played a role with it or am I getting that wrong? I, you might be right. Um, I don't think I go meditative. I think it was purpose. This needs to get built. I'm going to build this. Mm -hmm. Now I have the structured thing to get to where I built that, but I had a purpose. Now I have a reason to do this. And yeah, there's some focus. I wouldn't call it meditative, even though yeah. I think when you get good at something, even I find myself fading off, which is not good because there's a lot of power tools around if you're not paying attention. I mean, yeah. I have all 10. Okay. I have eight toes. Don't ask about that, but I have 10 <laughs> fingers. Okay. So. And I think both eyes are still, yeah, they're still working, yeah. so we're good. Like, speaking of shifting gears, though, um, I did look at your selection of wands. Nice segue. Yes, I know. Nice. I, you are a master at the Segway. Thank you very and much for saying Segway, that. And not the Segway vehicle thing. <laughs> <laughs> the selection of ones you have are quite different, each and every single one of them. It's almost like you don't have like a strict format that you'll go for every one. They're all different. I mean, can I ask you, like, what exactly is your process for making a wand? What happens when you look at a piece of wood and say, I'm going to do this, this, or this with it? So funny enough, I used to make fun of this statement I'm about to say, okay. but it's real. So I mill my own wood. I make my own blanks. Um, I, sometimes I cheat and I go to a local store that sells it when I need it right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I usually try to do as much of the process as possible for myself. Well, now, when you say that, you mean you go from tree to wand? Well, somebody will bring me a chunk of tree. Okay. Like my wife is disturbed by how much actual tree parts are in our garage. <laughs> 
Um, some that I planned to use but never got around to it. Okay. They're still in there. Uh, but, like, I, I can cut that down and make my own blank. So two by two by however long I need them. Okay. I cut them down into 18 inches. All right. Um, and then I start usually throw them on a lathe and start breaking them down into something I can use. But then, like, the wood's not telling me. I just want to be clear. I want to look your way when I say this, too. The wood's not talking to me, dude. Okay? <laughs> okay. It's not like, hey, we want to be bigger on this end and smaller on this end. Like, it doesn't happen like that. But, like, it just, I don't know if it's grain. I don't know if it's, like, using the gouge and, like, feeling, like, certain areas be tighter. But, like, an image will come to me. Like, I want to make it look like this. And the best part is it never looks like what I want it to look like when we're done because it's just not how it works. I can't recreate the same one twice. I've actually tried. It's impossible. A lot of kind of what you're describing to me sounds a lot like musicians when they improvise through a song. Like, they know the tune, but it's never going to come out quite the same way each time. They're going to improvise their way to the end product. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Not that the wood's telling me it wants to be cut a certain way. Just yeah. artistically, I see something in my head. This wood feels like the one to try that on. And about 50% of the time, it works. The other point here, too, is that you're not just a wand maker. You did that just to make a point. Don't make the wand out of pine. But you also do other woodworking stuff, too, as well. I do. I built all the furniture in our house. Right well, on. at this point, I built all the furniture we needed in our house. I'm learning, I'm learning to sew. Okay. So that I can build my own couch, my own chair. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I, I, I realize that I need to learn other little aspects to, to continue on what I'm doing. Right on. But, yeah, I do way more than that. I, I've held people with decks, porches. Uh, if you can cut it and nail it together, I'd probably help somebody do it. Okay. Thank you very much, Doc. I appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Next up, Nikki York, Sarah Pence, and Stephen Collins, all of whom have a background in the mental health field working with youth and families, and all of whom are fond of expanding their expertise into the realm of pop culture. I ran into them at Rose City Comic Con, where they held a panel just on this topic. So, brought them over to the Northwest Nerd booth and chatted just for a little bit about how pop culture can relate to the work that they do. Do you tell me a little bit, how exactly is pop culture related to the work that you do, or, or how do you use it related to the work that you actually do? So, uh, primarily I really like to work with teens, and I mean, I'm not super old, but I'm definitely obviously not a teen. And what I find a lot of times with teens is that they're really reticent to like open up with people, especially adults, um, yeah. because adults tend to really downplay what's going on of, oh, this is typical, you know, suck it up and deal with it, that kind of stuff. And, and I know like growing up, when I was having a really tough time, I'll, I would kind of use pop culture as escapism yeah. um, and, and help me understand the world that I was living in because you know, the characters in movies uh, maybe weren't completely reflective of my experience, but they, they helped me maybe understand the world in a new way. 
So what I'll do a lot of the time when I'm working with teens is I'll just kind of figure out like what is that pop culture thing that they're really into mm -hmm. and use that as a starting point. So like I've worked with teens who love Harry Potter and uh, actually my parting words to a particular client um, who was having depression and I just left my job and I, I told her, I said, you know, anytime you're feeling really depressed, I want you to think about how excited Arthur Weasley would be to meet you. And yeah. like all of a sudden she was like, can you imagine trying to explain how I make pizzas to him? Like he would be so fascinated of you do what with the dough? And like that was really yeah. exciting for her because it was something that gave her the opportunity like here's how I can reframe some of these things that are going on because Arthur Weasley would be really excited to know about the person she is even if she's feeling like disconnected from her current community. So a lot of that brings in narrative and character. I mean, do you feel do you feel that's kind of in your toolbox almost? So I have a, a lot of the younger kiddos, and I find, you know, uh, especially I, I, I work with a lot of ADHD, really hyperactive or inattentive kids, uh -huh. and kind of relating it to anime and Naruto in specific, I always kind of gravitate toward of like, okay, so you've got this, the, you know, the, the storyline of Naruto, he's got this nine-tailed fox, this demon inside of him his father put it in there, right? So it's this angry beast and he's an outcast and relating that to, hey, you know, you're in trouble at school all the time. You're the angry outcast. You have this anger, you have this energy. Yeah. And what do you need to do? You need to learn to live with it. You need to tame it. You need to befriend it and not feed it. You need to, you know, channel it and focus it and use it as a strength, which is kind of the narrative of Naruto as he goes along he befriends the creature inside of him and uses it for good. Yeah. And I always try to turn that to like, wow, you know, there's that amazing fantasy narrative, but you could use that, apply it to your real life, what's going on right now. Okay. I, did you have a, oh. something to add on to that? Um, yeah, so I was just kind of going to add that uh, a, like a big part of uh, narrative therapy is that people have always been into storytelling and um, having characters or having people that deal with what they deal with or look like what they look like or um, have challenges as well and come out on the other side. And when you look at a lot of these pop culture stories that we're talking about, they're just the storytelling of our time. And people really gravitate to those metaphors, they gravitate to those characters um, because of because of what they um, symbolize to the, those people. So I don't know if this is where you were going with that, but I, I did kind of uh, cling on to one word that you threw in there, though, but saying that, like, people that they can relate to, people that look like them, I mean, how, is it, how important is it to have uh, certain connections within pop culture so that people can kind of maybe see themselves in a character or to relate to? How important is that, and how does that help you with what you do? Well, I, I guess just to kind of start off that answer, um, we talked a little bit in our panel about like accurate portrayals of mental health uh -huh. and disorders and um, how harmful it is when someone is stigmatized or the disorder isn't portrayed correctly. Uh -huh. um, and I think, you know, finding those accurate uh, portrayals, what does bipolar disorder really look like? What does... ADHD really look like? What's autism look like? And how do you interact with someone who has this disorder that, you know, is, is on one hand such a, a strength for them sometimes? 
Um, is there anything that stands out to you that you feel this story, television show, comic book, whatever, uh, actually does accurately portray? I always think about um, the series Monk. I mean, that show was on for years. You have an OCD, you know, obsessive-compulsive detective. And part of the show, the st one of the staple characters is his therapist right. that he sees all the time. And, um, you know, I was discussing this with my sister, who's also a therapist, of it seems like sometimes they don't make a lot of progress, but the therapist is there all the time. He's always listening. Yeah. And it really comes down to... Monk being able to deal with whatever's in his past, what's in his life, being willing to let things go and work on himself, that that's where the progress comes from. And when the therapist is just there and he's consistent, you know, that's when every once in a while there's a breakthrough for Monk. Right. So OCD, I mean, it can be really debilitating, but in that scenario, it's like I feel like it's a pretty accurate portrayal of it gets in his way, but also he can harness it and becomes a real strength. Yesterday we were talking a lot about Marvel characters yeah. and their portrayal of um, mental health and Marvel's um, due diligence with uh, portraying mental health in uh, pretty pretty accurate ways. We were talking about um, Jessica Jones right. showing what it's like to be coming like having trauma on the back end of a pretty abusive relationship or. Uh, the different ways that Thor or Hawkeye or Black Widow or even Tony Stark were dealing with the same trauma and the same like uh, pretty intense um, experiences. That's a really good uh, stepping off point there because there was a Marvel line of questioning I just wanted to kind of run through you guys here starting with uh, Iron Man 3. Tony Stark is suffering from PTSD it seems like or some other reaction to what has happened in the other films. Right, I yeah. felt like that was where a lot of these Marvel films got very, very real. And I felt like it was a very honest thing to do. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on Iron Man 3 and exactly what is going on with Tony Stark. Yeah, and, and Iron Man 3 is one of those that I, I haven't watched a lot. But when I did see it, I remember, you know, kind of like you, I really enjoyed... It, and I think it's kind of underrated in its portrayal of, you know, Tony starts having panic attacks. Right. He, uh, takes on kind of the burden. He's like, hey, I was the leader of this team and this happened on my watch. What do you, what do I do with that? Mm -hmm. Do I blame myself? Do I blame the people around me? Do I, you know, he sinks himself into, we mentioned this in the panel, kind of, you know, what he's good at building things so he's building all these new suits yeah. he's losing himself in that and not necessarily taking care of his relationships or his other responsibilities uh even gets self-destructive he just throws out his home address come get me guys yeah i don't care mm -hmm. you know and with no thought of anyone else and not only that he's always had a bit of kind of like an alcoholism factor played into it not just yes. in this film but you throw in the, the fact that somebody might be dealing with something like PTSD. We could say depression. We can say anxiety. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, if we've been talking about Tony Stark in general, and the comics, he has a drinking problem, too. It's really his, his coping skill. And it's one that, um, you know, I kind of got poo-pooed in the panel for saying, because I was like, it's not a great one because it's not, um, but it is a coping skill. And a lot of yeah. times what we find is when people do experience mental health, because getting treatment is so scary, yeah. uh, and so many people have 
really negative experiences when we talk about like medication and and therapy. There's a lot of unethical therapists. We talked about that in the panel too. Right. Um, and so what they decide instead is that they're not going to go get professional help. They're going to solve it on their own. And that's where we see people turn to substances because it's a way to kind of drown out those feelings and not have to think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to move on to Avengers Endgame where there's a lot of characters we can kind of pick apart with that um, Black Widow uh, response to the the blip, as we we call it. Um, But Thor, and I bring up Thor in particular because I've had two conversations with people. One conversation is that's really interesting or it's really funny or how they approached it. And another uh, conversation I've had if people said, I understand what they're doing, but I don't like how they, that was a joke that it was a joke that Thor reacted to tragedy by drinking, consumption, uh, perhaps video game addictions in there somewhere, something like that. Um, and, but that was like the comedy, you know? So what was your reaction to Endgame from I guess, Thor's character? <laughs> I mean, I have, I have really strong opinions about this. Let's hear them. Um, <laughs> I know that people have a big problem with Thor and it was a big deal that, you know, he got fat and he got lazy and he got this, but that's what we do when we're depressed. That's, we don't see a lot of high functioning depression, um, really. A lot of times what it is is isolation. It's removing yourself from the situation. It's drinking and with drinking, you're going to have weight gain anyway. I mean, I said last night on the panel, weight and mental health are actually really connected. And so with some people you know they get depressed and they stop eating completely and I eat mac and cheese and uh, so I felt like it was funny but I don't feel like it was the punchline like a lot of people do and that was what he essentially was doing he had isolated himself in his house everybody had said well he does he only comes out for beer alcohol was a factor he did have quote unquote a support group in there but they were just playing video games with him yeah (laughs) yeah because those friends weren't challenging him they weren't pushing him and so for some people with depression that's safer like they're not trying to change who he is they're just like accepting it and that can be really unhealthy too because they're supporting the behavior um but we all do that like haven't you ever made a bad decision and then surround yourself by people who are like you should do that again yeah so I want to turn the focus back around on you guys. You said in your panel one of the favorite things you guys like to talk about is the representation of therapists in pop culture. What say you? So this is something that's always gotten under my skin, and I, I felt myself yesterday in the panel even, you know, I'm getting flush, I'm, I'm getting loud, I'm, I'm leaning forward. I felt it even just talking about it kind of riles me up of how... Uh, the therapist is either uh, corrupt, like we talked about already, sleeping with their clients, or uh, they have ineffective methods, or in the case of like Harley Quinn, and I brought up Watchmen, you know, there's the idea that if you talk to someone who is traumatized, mm-hmm. you're going to become traumatized yourself, or even more traumatized. Like it's an infection or yes. something, like it just absorbs into you as in yeah so if you hang out with someone with trauma or depression all of a sudden you're going to take that on and maybe even get more psychotic or depressed than they Uh are and that is you know that shouldn't be a factor in mental health like as a trained professional you you go in with the idea you're going to hear things people have experienced horrific things we have war we have uh violence and abuse of all kinds and 
you know, you need people to be able to listen to that, help you through it. And that's the role of the therapist. If you're ever worried that what I have inside me, my experience is too big for anyone to hear or to help me, um, I always encourage people, like, that's not the case. There are people who are trained to listen to you and take this on and help you through it. We want to hear what you have to say. Um, I think I was talking about the like the the role or the purpose of therapy and how that's portrayed in some uh pop culture being being that the therapist isn't going into this relationship thinking that they're going to like change the worldview of this person they're not going in thinking that they're going to like fix you or change you into a different person which i i feel like that's misrepresented in a few things we mentioned watchmen as one of those um, where the therapist was like overly optimistic, pretty naive, and like going in thinking that they're going to change the worldview of these criminals, which is right. completely like misguided. Um, and so, uh, it was it was about like kind of what Steve was saying before, uh, going like going in, meeting the person as they are, and trying to help them find the skills or find the way to make sense of what they were going through and also uh, uh, move forward with where they are now. And side note, uh, your therapist is not going to sleep with you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Therapists do not want to sleep with you. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry to announce that. You know, All right. Like... Okay. I wanted to end out with one uh, final thought. We uh, had interviewed some, well, it's on our podcast, so I guess I could say it. We interviewed uh, Phoenix Jones, who is a uh, Seattle superhero. Ah. He retired. Nick brought up an interesting question of uh, basically set up this whole line of like, you know, you have police officers, soldiers, and, and folks like that that go into uh, you know, law enforcement, crime prevention, and things like that, and they have f- facilities and tools available to them, like therapists and things like that. He's engaging in this and not having those tools. And Nick asked him, like, well, what about you? Have you ever, I mean, do, is mental health a, c- a concern for you? Do you have someone to talk to and all that? And then Nick got called a very uh, nasty name for even r- suggesting that you know, even think about like, oh, maybe I should talk to someone kind of implying that, well, crazy people are what therapists are for and I'm not crazy. What exactly should the approach be to mental health for most people? I have an answer. Okay, <laughs> I'm like ready ahead. to go. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so, you know, working up in Seattle, um, I, I've had a lot of experience with a lot of different cultures who look at mental health in very different ways. I um, shared a couple stories last night in the panel, um, but a lot of times the line that I usually hear from youth and families is uh-huh. mental health is a really important issue. It is something that is totally crisis level at this point, but not me, not my kid. Things are fine. They're acting this way for attention. And I would say that first of all, even if it's just attention-seeking behavior, dangerous behavior is still dangerous. And so self-harm behavior, making threats of suicide, all of that, that's still something that needs to be addressed. And when I typically get a lot of pushback, my line is, like, we have a couple of options. We can do nothing and nothing changes, or we can try this, and worst case scenario, nothing happens, but there's no harm done in trying. Yeah. And I have found a lot of families, when you kind of present it like this, of like, 
what is the harm in trying? Is there anything wrong with just giving it a shot? A lot of times they'll be like, fine, just because they want to prove me wrong. But then it turns into this thing that I won't say everyone, but the good percentage of people are like, oh, like this is actually beneficial. This is helping me. Um, and I also think that this whole narrative of, um, you know, therapy is only for the crazy. There's actually been significant studies done that therapy is for everybody, even happy people. I was going to ask you about the stigma thing. Do you feel that there is a stigma of sorts of oh. just oh, yeah. therapy yeah. bad? Well, yeah. how, do you, how do you counter that? Um, well, I guess when I was uh, working with a lot of families, there's... Um, it, there was a line I would I would use a lot of times to kind of explain it is like what could it hurt to have somebody outside the situation in a non-judgmental space hearing what you're going through and so usually um, like you don't need you don't need to have like you don't need to have the worst trauma you don't need to have like um, a, a bad situation you don't need to go to the hospital like what could it hurt to have like a third party hearing what you're going through helping you make sense of it right. and um, you don't need you know uh, and that's what a therapist is for they're basically holding a non-judgmental space um, for you to uh, say what you're going through um, how you feel about it like your experiences um, and help you make sense of it based on uh, your own worldviews and your values and where you are right now A very special thank you to Doc, Nikki York, Sarah Pence, and Stephen Collins, all of whom took the time to sit down and chat with me, even though we were on a very busy convention floor. And that is it for this episode of Northwest Nerd Podcast. Next week, a story about this little corner of central Washington, where an unlikely character has established a place for the region to come and experience a little magic, the gathering. Until then, this is Dyer Oxley with Northwest Nerd.